So we start this morning with a quote from Tim Keller about the gospel. In his book, The Meaning of Marriage, Keller said, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. The gospel addresses the greatest needs of our life, and it does so with hope. Today, we are talking about sin, and more specifically, what we surrender when we hold on to sin. And as a pastor of about 25 years, I have noticed that preaching on sin is almost as popular as preaching on tithing. I've been a pastor for a while, and people will come up, and they will often give me a list of topics they would love for me to address. Can you preach on creation, on end times, raising children, family prayer? I've never had somebody come up and say, would you share a good word on sin next Sunday? And there's a part of a reason for that, and that is when people hear the message is on sin, our, our thoughts are our mind goes in different directions. Uh, for example, depending upon somebody's background, their thought might immediately go to hellfire and brimstone sermons because that's the context that they grew up in. And, and their minds are already there right now. And they're like, oh boy, here we go. For other people, they think of a pastor who is yelling through a lot of the sermon and pounding his Bible. And let's be honest, I do that every single week regardless of the topic. So that, that's, that's off the table for right now. We might think of feeling judged or feeling exposed somehow. Others might think I picked the wrong Sunday to come to church. What, whatever it might be, the, the topic of sin, it brings certain images. It brings specific thoughts into people's minds. But there's something else it brings to mind. And that is an almost universal understanding of the basics of sin. You could talk to somebody who is young, talk to somebody who's old, Christian or not a Christian. And if you ask them, what is sin? More often than not, one of these three pieces will pop up. It's doing something bad. It's doing something wrong. It's somehow offensive towards God. Those three pieces. Now, the person might argue about you know, what is specifically sin and what are the severity of sin? You know, those things are up for debate, but you often hear the same basic idea. It's doing something bad. It's doing something wrong. It is somehow offensive towards God. If somebody has been in a good Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church for a while, they can probably give a synopsis of sin from God's perspective in about 15 seconds. Here it is. Sin is rebellion against God. Sin separates us from God. Everyone has sinned. God hates sin. God wants to forgive our sin, and forgiveness of sin is available through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is a biblical perspective in a nutshell. Now, all of that has a place in this conversation. But here's the thing. Most Christians are not struggling with those pieces. They understand those. They believe those. They accept those. Here's the places where Christians begin to struggle. Where's the line of sin? Is it okay to do this? Is it not okay to do that? We struggle with how can I be free from habitual sin or how can I keep from sinning again 
in the future. We struggle with things like, how do I spiritually rebound after I've committed sin? And you know that moment. You you know when you've sinned and there's guilt and there's shame and there's self-loathing that begins to flood into your mind and you just feel embarrassed before God. You're like, God, how do I get back on the right path now? Like those are the places where believers are struggling. Now, all of those questions lead into our main question for this morning. What do we surrender by holding on to sin? What do we give up? What do we forfeit Instead of us simply restating that sin is bad and sin is wrong and sin is offensive towards God, we know those things. I want us to address sin from the perspective of where most believers are struggling. I I want us to talk about what are we missing out on when we hold on to the sin that Christ has forgiven. So today is week three of five in our series, It's Only God. And we're studying what is required for us to live at the intersection of God's presence and God's activity and God's favor. And, and I'm hoping, I'm thinking that whether or not it is just a person as an individual, they're looking on behalf of their family, or we're talking about the whole of our church, we want to be at that intersection. Now, we started this in Psalm 127 with a message entitled, When We See the Need. And the entire focus of that message was on recognizing our need for the presence of God. If God is not the one to do the work, if God is not present, if he is not active, you and I cannot convict another person of sin. You and I cannot draw that person to God. You and I cannot see life change, character development. Like it has to be that God does the work. So in verse one of Psalm 127, we saw that phrase, unless the Lord builds the house. Unless the Lord guards the city, they labor in vain and they keep awake in vain. The the focus there is this beautiful balance on the side that, yes, we're called to serve and to work and to engage, but ultimately God has to lead and he has to empower and he has to be the one to bring the increase. So our key thought on that morning is obedience requires effort, but our faith must remain solely in God. We moved from seeing the need and recognizing that we have to trust God into practicing dependence through prayer. The second message from last week was entitled, How Do We Show Dependence? And I addressed that out of 2 Kings chapters 22 as well as 23. It's the story of King Josiah moving the people of God back onto the right path of God. And if you remember, when God's word was rediscovered, it led to awareness and it led to prayer. And when the people heard from God, there was repentance and consecration and cleansing and then... There was celebration at the end of that story. That's something that only God can do. It has to be that God is the one convicting. God is the one speaking. God is the one calling. God is the one changing. Like, it has to be that God does the work. So, as we see our need and we learn to trust God, and as we practice dependence through prayer, here's what I guarantee you is going to happen. God will reveal Areas of sin in our life that are holding us back from the fullness of his favor. And when he does that, we've got a decision to make. Do I hold on to it or do I repent of it and release it and experience the depth of what God has in store for me? 
So I invite you right now, go with me in your Bibles to a passage that's very familiar. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. I'm speaking this morning on the topic, what we surrender with sin. What we surrender, what do we give up, what do we forfeit if we are unwilling to deal with sin? Here's the text very quickly. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may your spirit guide into truth. Lord, may there be such an overwhelming awareness of sin that is in our life that needs to be brought before you in confession today. That God, people are confessing sin. Repentance is happening. There's people who are going to come to faith in Christ this morning, God. We are praying that burdens are lifted and hope is restored and redemption takes place in this room because of you, because of your word, and because of what the Spirit is doing. In Jesus' name, amen. So from a redemptive perspective, what do we surrender with sin? And I want this to be a redemptive perspective. I want there to be hope in what we're talking about. The message of the Bible is not, you sinned, God hates it, and there's no hope. The message of the Bible is, you sinned, God hates it, but Jesus will forgive you. There always has to be the redemptive part that comes out when you're addressing sin. Now, the book of 1 John, it was written to believers. In verse number 9 of chapter number 1, we just read it. We can do it again. Here it is very fast. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So John begins with confession of sin. Uh, To confess is simply to say the same as. So when somebody is confessing their sin, they are basically agreeing with God about their sin. They're they're not trying to hide it. They're not trying to justify it. They're not trying to excuse it. They agree it is sin. They agree with the consequences. They are in agreement with God. That is confession of our sin. Now, the one who is confessing their sin now has to address what happens at this point. If it is somebody who does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, then this is a moment we confess our sin before him. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a salvation moment for many people. But if you're a follower of Christ and you've already had that moment in your life, this is one of the most misinterpreted as well as misapplied verses you're going to find in your Bible. It's misinterpreted from the stance that if we think it's only the sins that we knowingly confess before God that we're forgiven of, then the issue there is the fact there's going to be a lot of unconfessed sin that stays in our life. We, we sin in areas that many times we don't even recognize the sin in the moment. You can do the right thing with the wrong motivation, and it still leads to sin. So there's sin that happens that's in the mind. There's bitterness, there's jealousy, there's lust, deception, there's pride. There's all of these things that impact our lives every day. So if it's only the sins that we knowingly confess that we are forgiven of, then one day we're going to be standing before God, before the judgment seat of Christ, and there's going to be unconfessed sin. But that's not what we find according to 1 Corinthians 15, Galatians 5, Ephesians 5, and Revelation 22. It states over and over that no one stands before him with unconfessed sin. 
There's also another piece that needs to be understood. The Greek tense for the word forgive, it speaks of a past completed action that continues into the present. It points back to God's forgiveness at Calvary. It's completed at Calvary. It's in the past at Calvary. And it now continues to bring blessing to those who have placed faith in Jesus to this day. That's why you get into chapter 2, verse 12, and it says, your sins have been forgiven, past tense. It's been taken care of. He's forgiven the sin debt. So when a person repents of their sin by placing faith in Jesus Christ, God forgives their sin debt, past, present, as well as future. After salvation, when a Christian sins, here's what's happening. They're not asking God to re-forgive what he already forgave. Instead, they are confessing their sin before God, agreeing with God that that is wrong, agreeing with God there's consequences because of that, and they are thanking God for the forgiveness they already experienced in Christ. It's a completely different vantage point than what most believers live with. Most believers, they confess their sin and they walk away still sitting under the guilt and the shame and the condemnation of that. How does that fit with Romans chapter 8, verse 1, when it says, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ? The sin debt has been taken care of. So think of it like this. Our forgiven state is not contingent upon our ongoing confession. Instead, our ongoing confession is made possible by our forgiven state. As the Holy Spirit indwells the believer, he produces within them this Disdain for sin, a hatred for sin, a desire for righteousness and acknowledgement of I want to be right with God. So now we've talked about confession and forgiveness. I want us to take some time and talk about what are some of those issues that believers address? What do they deal with? So here's the first of those. Where's the line of sin? Where's the line of sin? God gave me a visual for this particular topic, this particular situation. Gave me a visual in order to help me understand this a number of years ago. So I'm going to try my best to give you all the visual that God helped me to see. So a number of years ago, there was a nasty stomach virus that began to take out every member of my family. Bria, down for the count. Shana, down for the count. Kaylee, down for the count. Now, as a family, we're a close family. There's a lot of love. There's a lot of hugging. There's a lot of laughter in our house. We're one of those families that before we pray at a meal, we hold hands together like that's our family. Okay, but when someone's sick in the house, our motto quickly changes to keep your hands to yourself. <laughs> we don't play around with that. So this virus got a hold of Kaylee first and she started throwing up. And myself and Shana, as well as Bria, we commenced with Operation Germ Destruction. And we are Lysawing different door handles and we're taking Clorox wipes and we're going down the banister and Bria is boiling water and pouring it over the end of the toothbrushes to kill any germs right there. We're opening up the windows and the doors like extras on Little House on the Prairie to bring in the fresh air and to let out the germs. I mean, we had a plan. And then Shana went down. 
somehow it made it past our defenses. So now it's up to the parents. So it's myself and Bria, and we started with Operation Bleach the House. And we started bleaching the tiles around toilets and bleaching the toilet itself. And, and we're going through and just trying to wash our hands. We're scrubbing our hands up to the elbows like we're coming in for surgery right there. We're, we're making sure germs are taken care of. And then Bria was down for the count. And as a spiritual leader in my home, I commenced with Operation Every Man for Himself at that point. I am tossing back vitamin C like it's popcorn. I, I, I am dealing with essential oils like a hippie in a science experiment. I mean, I'm mixing some, I'm gargling some, I'm dabbing stuff up behind my ear. I don't care about the science at this point. I'm like, whatever it takes. I, I'm praying in that moment. I'm praying like you pray when a police officer does a U-turn behind you in the car. I'm praying. Okay. Here's the thing, when the virus is taking out my family like an assassin, you say things in the moment that they don't sound loving, but it needs to be said. You say things like, I love you, but you're going to need to stay over there. And they start walking your way, up, 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 keep your distance right there, stay, stay over there. I got too much to do this week in order to get sick. You've probably said the same thing in your house. Now pause there for just a moment. When it comes to physical sickness, we have no problem seeing the line, drawing the line, and staying clear of that line. We are not concerned with how it is received or how it is perceived. We stay away from the line. But when it comes to spiritual sickness, a.k.a. sin, we're like, Hey, we come up to the edge of the line. We're like, what's going on over here? We, we grill out on the line. We invite our friends, check out the line for yourself. And then shocked when we step over the line. And here's what happens. We become spiritual all of a sudden. We start texting our friends and we're like, be praying for me. The enemy's after me this week. Nah, bro, you chased him down that week. It wasn't even a challenge. The, the issue is when it comes to physical sickness, we are clear with staying away from the line. We stay away from the line because we want to avoid being infected with spiritual sickness. We get up right close to the line and we just hope nothing is going to rub off. One of the greatest distortions of sin that has infiltrated the church is you can look as long as you don't touch. That is a lie. If you look long enough, you'll touch. If you focus long enough, if you hang out long enough, if you dabble long enough, you will act upon that sin. Treat sin like sickness. Treat sin like sickness. When you got a friend coming over and they want to invite you into something, like, hey, I love you, but you're going to need to keep that over there. I, I don't have time for that. I, I don't have time for this issue of my life. I, I don't want to lose God's favor on my life right now because of some momentary pleasure. I, I want to continue to walk in faithfulness to God. You see the line. You steer clear of the line. Here's the next one. How can I be free of habitual sin or keep from sin. 
Let me say there are moments of sin and then what I would refer to as strongholds of sin. A, a moment of sin is when we forget who we are in Christ, we pursue something apart from God's best and we sin. And when that happens, we know it, we're sorry for it, we repent of it, we forsake it, and by the grace of God, we move forward in the forgiveness that we have in Christ. But then there's also what I would refer to as strongholds of sin. Those are areas that we have struggled to fully submit to God. Those are areas where the enemy has overwhelmed us for so long and to such a degree that we wonder, could I ever be free from this? It almost seems like such a far away concept that your life is somehow not going to be impacted by that area of sin. I have shared the same thing multiple times in the last two years of being here. I've shared it a lot over the years of being a pastor. You don't solve a problem by focusing on the problem. You solve the problem by focusing on the solution. Apply it in this context. You don't solve a sin problem by studying the sin. You solve a sin problem by focusing it on and abiding with Jesus. Jesus is the answer. So I'm, I'm going to give you just a very simple verse. It's one I've come back to many times, John 14, 15. Jesus speaking, he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Simple verse. Sin struggles point to a love problem. In that moment, there is something that we love more than what we love God in that moment. And I know that's hard for people to hear because we're like, I love God always and forever. But in that moment when God's saying this is wrong and we're like, I'm still going to do it, you love something else in that moment. You love the pleasure, you love the sin, you love the pattern, you love whatever it might be that comes from that. So here's my public service announcement to anyone who thinks that in order to break free from this sin, I just need to study the sin more. Here's my, my service announcement. Love deficiencies are not corrected by sin exploration. Love deficiencies are corrected by sitting and abiding in the presence of Christ, getting to know him more. How do you break habitual sin and patterns of sin, and how do you steer clear of other sin that's coming in the future? Run to Jesus. Stay with Jesus. Abide with Jesus. Hang out with him. Get to know him. Let him be the one that occupies your time and your focus. So in, in your notes, I've listed a number of verses that are there. I'm just going to read through those, but I wanted you to at least have the references. The first I've already shared, John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But here's the next one. First John chapter 3, verse 6. Listen to how clear this is. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Did you get that? The answer is found in abiding in Christ. To abide means to stay in, to be at home in, to remain in. You and I cannot spend one hour a week with God and expect us not to deal with sin issues. We need to be 24-7 in his presence, abiding there at home in his presence. 1 Corinthians 10-13, no temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. God is faithful. 
In the moment, he doesn't seem faithful because the temptation is overwhelming. This is where you have to believe what the word of God says. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Part of the challenge there is to believe what God has declared. He is faithful. Here's another part of the challenge. Look for the way of escape and, and, and take it. It's, it's one thing to say, there's the way of escape as you're driving right down the lane of sin. Now, there's another one off on that side as you keep on driving. You have to take it. So when you have somebody who, for example, there's a friend saying, hey, we're going out. This is what's going to happen. In, in, in your spirit, you know each time you're around this person, it goes south fast. And the spirit of God saying, you don't need to be there. And you in the car and the spirit of God's convicting you. You know what you do? You pick up the phone. I actually, you pull off the side of the road first. <laughs> then you pick up the phone. You text. You're like, I, I'm not going to be able to make it. I'll talk with you later. God bless you. If he brought the conviction before you got there, that's your way of escape. Or you get over there and you find out that maybe it was you showing up as a couple your spouse isn't there, their spouse isn't there, it's the opposite sex who's there, and you got conviction the moment you come up to that door right there, and the Spirit of God saying, don't go in, don't go in, don't go in, and you're like, well, let's just come on in and see what happens. No, that's the place. You stop it there at the door. It's the fact that he will prompt, he will show the way of escape. We have to be willing to take the way when he shows it. James chapter four, verse seven, submit therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submission precedes victory. Submission precedes victory. When we submit, God empowers resistance. Galatians 5, 16, but I say walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. To walk by the Spirit means to be controlled by the Spirit, to, to un be under his power and under his authority. Does that describe you? Psalm chapter 119, verse 11. Your word I've treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. There is a correlation between memorizing Scripture and walking in holiness. When you know the word, here's what happens. You can see the line coming a long way away. When you know the word and the spirit of God is bringing conviction, the spirit of God brings up the words you have hid in your heart in that moment to convict you, don't go any further. There is a correlation between memorizing scripture as well as holiness. Here's the next piece. How can I spiritually rebound after sin? I got three words for you. They're pretty easy. Believe, believe, believe. What are you supposed to believe? Believe what God says about you. Believe what God says about sin. Believe what God did when he says he forgave your sin debt, past, present, and future. Believe what it says in Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Believe that wallowing in the sins of your past only prolongs the agony of that moment. Believe that as a child of God, there is nothing that you can do to make God love you more, and there is nothing that you can do to make God love you less. Believe what he has clearly put in his word. All of that leads to fully grasping this last piece, and this is where we're honing in the last probably seven minutes. What do we surrender 
with sin? What do we give up? What do we forfeit? Now, the reason I've saved this until the very end is because every part of what I've already addressed is needed to not only lay a foundation for understanding, but here's my main reason for putting it there. You also need the same thing to take away all the excuses that Christians give. When we get to this point and we're talking about forsaking sin, walking in righteousness, what are we forfeiting if we hold on to it? I didn't want to get to this point and a believer say something like this. I would love to walk righteously, but there's been this pattern of sin in my life I can't break free of. I'd love to walk righteously, but I don't think Jesus could forgive me from what I've done. I would love to be able to walk righteously, but I don't even know what the line of sin is. I don't know what you do after you've sinned. I I wanted to remove those types of excuses. Here's the thing. You and I have to believe what God has declared. We have to believe the promises of God. I got three more words for you. God's promises are about three pieces, knowing, receiving, becoming. That's not in your notes. You can put that off to the side. God's promises are about knowing, receiving, and becoming. God gives us promises so that we know what he wants us to know, that we receive what he wants us to have, and that we become who he created us to be. Now apply that in this context. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ today, what does God want you to know? He wants you to know that he loves you and forgiveness is possible through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he wants you to know right now. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, what does God want you to know about the topic of sin? He wants you to know he loves you and forgiveness is already yours because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The sin debt has been paid. He he wants you to know that as a believer, when you sin at that moment, the job is confess it, agree with him about that sin, thank him for the forgiveness you have in Christ, and by his grace, you walk forward in faithful obedience to him. That's what he wants you to know. So what does God want you to receive? He wants you to receive the fullness of eternal life made possible through Jesus Christ. Eternal life is to know God. That's what it's all about. The more you get to know him, the more you see the fullness of what it means to experience eternal life. The more we get to know Christ and abide in him, the more we see his character, the more clearly his will is made known to us. The more time we spend with him, getting to know him and learning to love him, the more that stuff happens as we abide in him and walk in faithfulness, we experience his presence and we engage in his activity and we enjoy his favor. What does he want us to receive? He wants us to receive this incredible invitation to walk with him in the context of the kingdom, experiencing all that he created us to experience. He has great plans for his people. So what does he want us to become? Everything he created us to be. He wants us to become like Christ. When we hold on to our sin, when we fail to deal with our sin, hey, for that matter, for those of you who are trying to tune me out right now, thinking about something else. Listen. Every time you try to kick the can of sin down the road, you're 
losing a part of what God has for you. So I'm going to address this on the side of both unbelievers as well as believers. The first three of these, I, I just very quickly, that, and this is not an exhaustive list. Unbelievers, what do you give up? What do you forfeit by holding on to sin? You give up salvation. You give up forgiveness. You give up eternal life. You give up the opportunity of becoming who he created you to be. Is sin worth it? For those who are believers, what do you also give up? Now remember, your sin debt has been paid, but there's a part of God's blessing and God's favor in your life that you miss out on. So believers, when they hold on to their sin, they give up freedom. Listen, freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want. Freedom is the ability to do what is right. And what is right is defined by God and his word. We give up freedom. We give up security. When, when you're walking in sin, here, here's the thoughts in your mind. I hope nobody ever finds out. I hope nobody understands what's going on. I, 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 I hope nobody asks me this question because I don't know how to dodge it. There's a security that comes in holiness. You give up, here's the next one, boldness. Oh man, go back and hang out with, sit with, memorize Proverbs chapter 28, verse number one. It said, the righteous are as bold as lions. Could it be that we've lost our boldness because we've held on to our sin? It also is we give up joy. We give up hope. We give up unhindered prayer. Listen, I don't need anything to hinder my prayers. And yet, according to Scripture, when we sin, according to Scripture, it interferes with our prayer life. We give up knowing God deeply. Oh, get this. Get this. Eternal life is to know him. Jesus died to give us that gift. How, how horrible would it be that one day we step into eternity and it's like we're like, well, I just didn't take the time to enjoy the gift. He died that we might know him. Yet when we hold on to sin, it interferes with intimacy with God. When we hold on to the very things that he hates, we, we're spending our time going through punishment so that he keeps hitting our hand to get us to break free the very thing that he hates instead of enjoying the presence of God. Why would we want to hold on to it? Believers also give up fellowship with God, give up mercy Give up health. Give up some types of healing. According to Scripture, did you know there's a type of sickness? You could go back and you could say all sickness has some link back to the fall. We understand that. Sickness came in through the fall. But according to Scripture, there's some types of sickness that we have in our life because we refuse to repent of the things that God's bringing to mind. Check out the passages there. It says, because of this, because people did not deal with sin, especially in receiving communion, it says some of them are sick and some of them are weak and some of them have fallen asleep. In other words, some of them were taken home to glory because they refused to release sin. The next one, we also give up future potential. We give up life. That, that's not an exhaustive list by any means. We have so much to gain by walking righteously, and we have so much to lose by holding on to sin. So as we close, here's just my final thoughts. Is there a type of sin, an area of sin that you're holding on to today? 
It is one thing to say, I want God's best in my life. It's another thing to be willing to take the steps necessary that lead to God's best. Confessing sin, repenting of sin, forsaking sin are all necessary for us to live at the intersection of God's presence, God's activity, and God's favor. So if you're a Christian, I've got a couple of questions for you. Has there been a time in your past that you were more joyful about the things of God? You just don't know what's happened since then. Ask God what happened to the joy of your salvation. If you're a believer, has it been that God has been prompting you to serve and you keep saying, no, not right now? Has God been prompting you to give and you say, no, I can't afford it? Has God been prompting you to take a step of obedience and you keep saying, I don't have time right now. Somewhere down the road, I'll get to that. Please hear me. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Disobedience is sin. And sin brings pain and a forfeiture of God's best. If you are not a Christian, has God been dealing with you about sin? Have you been disturbed? Saying, I wish there was a way I could get a clean slate. I wish there was a way I could be forgiven. If you're not sure if you're a follower of Christ, has there been a time in your life that you have repented of your sin, turned from your sin by placing faith in what Jesus has done for you? Can I tell you, the redemptive story of God is not you sinned, God hates it, and there's nothing you can do about it. The story of the gospel is you've sinned, God hates it, but Jesus will forgive you. There's hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you if you would, just bow with me for just a moment. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm going to ask if our band, our singers, if you all would come back. I'm going to ask if some of our pastors and pastor's wives, if you all would take your place at the front. This is a, a serious moment for a lot of people. I'm praying this morning that God not only has brought to mind areas of sin that we try to hold on to, but I'm also praying today that there's going to be people who are completely freed, that the cycle, the pattern of sin is broken. I'm praying today that there's going to be people who experience the depth of what it means to walk in the forgiveness of Christ. I'm praying right now that there's people in this room that they do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm praying in just a moment. I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to share how it is that you can enter into covenant relationship with God. And I'm praying today that there's going to be people who place faith in Jesus for the first time as Lord and Savior. So if you're not sure of the gospel, if you're not sure of where you're, you're going to spend eternity, if, if you're hoping, if you're wanting to experience forgiveness of sin, Here's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Humanity was created for relationship with him. Our sin interfered with that relationship, separated the relationship. There was nothing you and I could do to make things right ourselves. Our good works, not enough. You could join every church on this side of eternity. It's still not going to be enough. 
You could try to live as a morally good person. It's not going to be enough. There's nothing we could do to reconcile ourselves to a holy God. But Jesus did for us what we could not do. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He rose again three days later that we might have eternal life, a reconciled relationship. And he offers eternal life, this incredible relationship to those who will simply repent of their sin, turn from their sin by placing faith in Jesus Christ. Basically, that person is saying, I don't want my way anymore. I recognize that God's way is best. And as best I know how, I turn by placing faith in what Jesus has done for me. I'm going to have a word of prayer. And I'm going to lead people through a prayer today. If you want to know without a doubt that you've placed faith in Jesus, that he has saved you, if there's a prompting in your heart saying he's talking to you, he's talking to you, don't turn that away. So I'm going to lead in a very simple prayer. If that is your desire, would you pray this in your heart to God? God, I know that I have sinned. And I know my sin separated me from you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. That he rose again three days later. It's best I know how. I place faith in what Jesus has done for me. Would you save me? Would you give me eternal life?